I am Patrick Yeos, National President of Fraternal Order Police. This is The Blue View. Well, in this episode of uh, the Blue View podcast, we're, we're talking to Larry James, the uh, general counsel for the Fraternal Order Police, and we're going to talk about qualified immunity and, and a little bit about what it is and some of the misconceptions with it. But, but Larry, before we start, how about telling our viewers uh, and our listeners a little bit about yourself? My name is Larry James. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I'm with the law firm of Crab Brown and James. We're about 85 years old. In my past life, I used to be safety director, and in that capacity, I oversaw police and fire department and communications for the city of Columbus, Ohio, the largest city in Ohio. Uh, I also have been assistant city attorney, um, defending uh, officers and also doing investigations for internal affairs. So I've done 360 on law enforcement uh, as I said, I've been general counsel since 2001, and um, we've dealt with this qualified issue, qualified immunity issues since I've been practicing law since 1977. Yeah. So, so Larry, let's 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 just go dive right into it. There are a lot. There's a lot of talk uh, in recent years, the last two years in particular, about qualified immunity, about how uh, how the system is broken. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions. Let's just let's just break it down a little bit. Who is protected by qualified immunity? So qualified immunity basically covers all government entities uh, and individuals working for the government, teachers, mayors, city council members, firefighters, school administrator, prison official, local official, county officials, county sheriffs and all police department and federal, state and local level. So without exception, also prosecutors and judges. Yeah, so, I mean, there's not a, there's not a discussion saying we need to uh, eliminate qualified immunity from any other profession, but law enforcement officers who are, who are put in a position of having to make a split-second decision uh, would have to, you know, the, the argument is, is they somehow qualified immunity protects bad cops. But that's, that's not the case. If, there's a, if someone's outside of policy, procedure, and law, qualified immunity does not apply, correct? Correct. And you have to remember, um, throughout the country, there are probably 12 million encounters or stop between the public and law enforcement individuals. Uh, and in those instances, uh, what we see today, we see a couple of situations that just, just the house is on fire. Um, I will say, for instance, the incident in Memphis would not be covered by qualified immunity. Um, George Floyd's situation would not be co covered by uh, qualified immunity. And the reason I say that is the court goes through this analysis from a traditional academic standpoint to say, is it clearly established law? And was the officer basically acting in good faith or outside the bounds of the law? And the Supreme Court has said repeatedly that although there is this two-step analysis. If you find something like in the Memphis situation, then you don't have to go through the analysis. Qualified immunity is not going to occur. There were two cases before the US Supreme Court in 2021, and they involved prison situations where the uh, prison officials had intentionally done harm to a prison inmate. And the trial judge 
uh, back and forth had wrestled with this issue of qualified immunity. And basically what the Supreme Court said, trial judges, use your head. If, it if it's common sense that an officer has abused someone's right, qualified immunity should not vest. So qualified immunity does not um, protect one from a criminal indictment or a conviction. Qualified immunity does not protect one from being terminated from one's job. Qualified immunity does not protect one from a uh, department taking disciplinary action. So there's just a host of areas uh, that qualified immunity does not apply. It's in a strictly civil litigation sense where qualified immunity says, if the officer was acting within the scope and course and based on his good faith, then you can debate the issue whether he or she should be protected by qualified immunity. If in the Memphis situation or those prison cases we talked about on their face, they're not going to be afforded a qualified immunity. I think the other thing one has to remember is all of these cases that the public says shock the conscious, those cases never go to trial. They are settled. There are substantial amounts of money being paid out to the public. And many of those officers, and we're seeing more of it, do have some type of indictment coming after them or some type of discipline or the termination of your jobs. So I think that misnomer, um, Pat, that you talk about is one that the public just does not appreciate. I think the other thing is when we looked at cases for the last 15 years, 42% of the qualified immunity uh, arguments have been denied. So it just depends on the stage. It depends on the type of case that it, it is, but there's not, the law is not running amok. Uh, police officers who abuse um, someone's constitutional rights are not getting free rides. Yeah, I think uh, maybe what might be helpful is for uh, our viewers and listeners to understand what qualified immunity is. It's not, it's not a law passed by Congress. It's, it's no. actually court precedent, correct? It's judicially created. So what right. the judges decided some time ago, if an officer is acting in good faith, and I'll tell you, you know, very similar when I was safety director and I would have a situation with an officer and that officer had been negligent, almost like a medical malpractice that you made a, a, a mistake. Now, depending on the gravity of that mistake, it may be determined the severity of the discipline that's going to be handed down. But I recall when an officer walked in and he or she uh, acted in good faith and it was just a snap judgment and made a mistake, then uh, the penalty was going to be reflective of that, um, that infraction. I remember one of my early cases, there had been a situation where uh, an officer had been shot, a clerk had been raped, and the officers ended up killing the individual. And in, the, in, 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 in that process, they ended up hitting the individual a couple times afterwards. Uh, and it was a, a, a moment of passion. And those are the type of cases is what do you do? Is that an abuse? Um, probably it is. Is it going to be criminal? Probably not. Is that officer going to be afforded qualified immunity? It's probably never going to get to that because the case is probably going to be settled by the government entity. 
So I would say that is the public protected? So an injury occurs, will qualified immunity stop a family or an individual from recoup recouping some sort of monetary damages if their rights have been uh, uh, violated? And the answer to that is no. And that's bearing out around the country. I mean, you're seeing these settlements for substantial dollars, um, but when you look at 12 million encounters a year, and then I can almost go around the country and count them on my two hands where something is gone wrong. And I'm not talking about the situations like in Memphis uh, or uh, Louisville. Um, those are different situations. You know, Larry, uh, you know, you, you talk about, uh, you know, mentioned about court dispositions or at least settlements. Let me rephrase that. Uh, uh, court settlements where the, where cities have decided that they're not going to pursue something, and uh, and they're they're making settlements with uh, with the individuals. I think I think it's important to note. Look, we we could talk about uh, some high profile cases. We see them. We can see them with our own eyes and and know. Okay, this, this does shock the conscience. But I, I think it's it's noted you know notable to, to to point out that in a lot of these instances where cities are paying out damages. It's politically expedient to do so, and the officers have never had an opportunity to present their case or make their argument as well, or whether or not fault or you know is, is applied. Correct. Correct. And you take the Atlanta situation at the uh, fast food encounter in that situation, and it's it's a difficult uh, proposition for the public official. So he or she, the mayor or council collectively, makes a decision uh, that. The public is protesting and potentially threatening to close down highways, interfere with normal business, um, and do damage. Uh, so the public official makes the decision, as they did in Atlanta, we're just going to fire the officer. And in many of those instances, when they go to a hearing, and I happen to have been on one of the call with some of the folks in Atlanta at the time, and I said, you're going to have a problem because, you know, those officers are probably going to be reinstated. They did not do anything wrong. Now, you've got two issues, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Mayor. Uh, you can take the expedient route and you can sacrifice your officer. And people may not blame you when you're balancing, you know, am I going to have my city burned down or am, am I going to violate my officer's due process rights? That is that debate, Pat. And, um, you know, it's a difficult one, yeah. but I think the city has to make a decision that they're going to return that officer to his or her job. And then you look at a situation where are they going to put the officer back to work or they're going to buy out the officers. You'll recall what happened in Ferguson. And I think that that was one of those situations that people had jumped to conclusions on Darren Wilson and the Obama DOJ came in and made a determination that there were no rights violated. Now, there were rights of the citizens violated by the public officials because you had a predominantly black city that was poor, that the city had made a dece conscientious decision that they wanted to create revenue from its residents to operate government. And that was the finding of DOJ. It had nothing to do with the police department and the police officers. So, you know, it gets a, it's a mixed bag, but you're absolutely right that, you know, do, do 
or shall our officers have the right to have their case heard both administratively, criminally, and or civilly. And we do a lot of work representing officers here in Central Ohio, and we've had a lot of success on those high profile cases. So both the officers being reinstated and the civil cases being won by the way of a defense verdict. You know, Larry, I, I often in meetings uh, with, uh, with other groups uh, have this one repeating uh, theme uh, and questions that are, are at least statements that are made about qualified immunity. And that is, is that qualified immunity protects bad cops. Um, and we know that's not the case. I mean, you identified the, the, the numbers to show uh, the, the process for the courts to determine whether qualified immunity uh, is something that is applicable uh, shows that, uh, what, uh, 40, better than 40% of the time that it's, it's uh, uh, requested, denied. that it's denied. Um, Absolutely. Let's, you know, we talked about all the things that qualified immunity uh, doesn't do. Let's talk about what qualified immunity does. What it does, it provides a defense for the officer uh, and it avoids extensive litigation costs um, that where the court finds that the officer acted in a reasonable, objective, good faith manner and in compliance with the regulations. And if you find that situation and you don't uh, find a violation, you're going to dismiss that officer from the lawsuit in the case for all practical purposes go away as it should. Yeah. And, and there's another one that, that, uh, you know, a consistent theme, uh, by those that feel like qualified immunity is, a uh, is, uh, is protecting bad cops. There's also the argument that qualified immunity should be adjusted so that the burden falls on the agency themselves. Isn't it there already? I, I, I believe it is because, you know, when we have, um, multiple officers in an incident, you know, we get called in by the city attorney's office when there's a conflict of interest, but the city is bearing the cost of that defense. The city is going to bear the cost of any settlement, uh, and the city is going to bear the cost of any judgment return, uh, because it is the deep pocket. Some government, uh, some state, uh, uh, around the country, Colorado, New York, New Mexico, have tried to create a or eliminate qualified immunity in the state forum. Um, I think that that is a disaster waiting to be happen happen because then the government entity has to make a decision on a conflict of interest with those officers and whether it's uh, in their best interest to cut them loose. Um, and it's trying to say the officers should stand. Um, in the way, but what's going to happen more often than not, even if there were a verdict return, uh, there's going to be a filing of bankruptcy because the officers don't have the wherewithal. And that's even where they've made an innocent mistake. You know, Larry, just to put it in perspective, I, I, and I think this is the key. Why is why, you know, I, I want to talk about why qualified immunity is important to the profession of law enforcement. But I want to I want to you know, give an illustration that kind of points out the problem. Uh, if we work in another industry, uh, if you work in a private sector and you see something that's unsafe or unethical or illegal, um, you have the opportunity uh, to to make a decision whether or not you're going to do that function. Uh, and law enforcement or not, law enforcement, law enforcement officers are dispatched to calls of service, and their failure to respond to that calls of service 
uh, could result in malfeasance and a number of other problems. So a law enforcement officer doesn't have the ability to say, you know what, there's an active shooter situation you're sending me to, and I have determined that there is a highly possible uh, probability that I'm going to have a use of force situation, and therefore I could be personally liable for this use of force. I choose not to go. Uh, our profession is different than others. Us in military and fire, uh, public safety and, and military are the ones that are in this position. So let's talk about why why it is so important to the professional law enforcement to be able to have qualified immunity. Uh, we have a problem in this country right now where we have seen more officers retire at, at a rate higher than we've ever seen before. We see more officers, the seasoned officers, leaving for more stable professions uh, and we see the best and the brightest not stepping up and taking this job. Uh, so my question, you know, that I often ask to people who, who feel like qualified immunity needs to go away, tell me why it is that someone, you know, the best and brightest, why would they take this job? Why would a law enforcement officer, officer stay on this job when the simple call for duty to get dispatched to a call could result in your own personal uh, damage to yourself? Um, where the rest of the public is not there. The reason why qualified immunity exists is to put people in those decisions, you know, those positions that have to make split-second decisions and do so based on, on law and policy is to give them a, some level of protection, correct? Yeah, I think that, you know, um, we have these examples where we try to bring the public out and take them through a situation, shoot, don't shoot. 80% of the public ends up shooting someone they shouldn't. The officers, and you see this a lot on domestic calls. So the officer shows up at a domestic situation and you have two conflicting stories. What do you do? Do you take one of the individuals out to safety uh, and arrest one? Uh, do you show up and the place has gotten quiet and you leave? And then one of those individuals is later murdered. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. The officers in any situation, whether it's a traffic stop, whether it's a domestic call, whether it's in a case I gave earlier, a rape and robbery. Um, so if you don't have qualified immunity, you really put a chilling effect on the activities of the officers. So he or she's standing there and he has to make that snap judgment. What do you do? Do you back off? Do you not take action? And we've seen a lot of that. Uh, there was a situation two weeks ago uh, where an officer showed up on the scene and there was an allegation of domestic violence and the individual ran. Do you pursue that individual? What is the acceptable course of action of that officer and if you're talking about taking away qualified immunity from that officer, then it sends a signal that we are not going to afford you due process. We're not going to afford you your good faith snap judgment, not Monday morning quarterback, but what you tried to deal with at that very point in that very situation. You know, and we've talked about it where we watched officers film their own death and they're trying to be overly cautious and in this climate do the right thing. And so the question for an officer 
if you're trying to do your job, you have a question. Do you want to make someone a widow or do you want to face a civil or criminal lawsuit? And without qualified immunity, it just exacerbates that um, impeding on that day-to-day -day judgment that occurs over 12 million times in this country every year. You know, Larry, I, I, I think you, you said it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one more question and, and, and I, I think might focus it uh, on, I want you to look into your crystal ball. Okay. If we didn't have qualified immunity, what would happen to policing in America? I think right now you're probably 30% down uh, on staffing levels of police departments. You're going to get fewer and fewer applicants to pursue law enforcement, which we're not, uh, you know, we're not meeting that uh, uh, staffing levels. Uh, you're going to see many departments have to lower the standard as we're seeing around the country. It would be a nightmare for the public that you're not getting that career officer. You're going to continue to see an exodus by those officers um, that have been around for years. It's it's it, it's a living nightmare. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And and look, really, what it comes down to, training, realistic training, scenario training, all of these things are important. You know giving law enforcement officers the tools in order to be able to make those sound decisions, but also at the same time recognize there's a human element, element in everything that, that, uh, that we do and that human, human element and some, often the, uh, the lack of compliance to lawful orders result in, in a use of force that, uh, that, that creates a lot of these problems. So until we, until we actually recognize and stop focusing and ways to take things away and recognize what we need to do is be giving better tools in order to do policing, we're always going to be struggling with these issues. And, and the adequacy of the tools. I mean, we talk about the taser and whether I, you know, we were looking at certain departments that 30% of the uh, officers are not equipped with tasers. When you look at the training budget for officers, modern day training, and I would, I would really challenge the pub public to take a look at this. Look at the budget for training of officers, equipment of officers, uh, what they, they, they are not given. And I think you'll find that that training budget is the first thing to go, or you do not have an adequacy of having those officers trained with the right equipment. You'll recall we went through this debate maybe about six or seven years ago with vests and mandating and the type of vests that you have. Um, and, you know, it, it, it just... If the public took a look at that, how the officers training, retraining, recertification, I think police officers will tell you unequivocally, good cops don't want to work with bad cops. No doubt. And they, they repeat it like, and you've seen this from around the country. We don't practice this sort of technique. We don't believe that there is any justification remotely under any circumstances for what took place in Memphis. Uh, you issued a statement on that. And I think that's where law enforcement is today. Uh, and, you know, we need a seat at the table. When I was safety director, I realized when I was dealing with issues and policies, 
I ended up going to the command level um, to get those answers about how we created better policies. And I wasn't trying to play favorites. It's just that that group of individuals understood what the beat cop was dealing with every day, the equipment we needed. When we talk about bike patrol, if we're gonna have that, when we talk about community policing, what is the equipment that those officers need? Um, we ended up supporting, you put together a task force on body cameras. Uh, and what we found from body cameras, they exonerated the officers. You know, the officers were a little bit uh, nervous at first and uh, were wondering what, what was going to be uh, uh, the result of it. And then the officers were saying, we want body cameras. Yeah. And we body, want the best body cameras. Right. Body cameras, uh, body cameras by, by, by far. Has it occasionally... Uh, found some things that uh, that shock our conscience, yes. But uh, but at the same time, I, I think what you you will find with body cameras is that by by far the overwhelming majority of those show law enforcement officers being very professional in some very stressful stressful situations uh, and, yep. and doing a doing a job that's uh, that's very difficult and certainly unpredictable. Yep. Yeah, we had a situation this past uh, couple of days of an individual shooting up a club. Um, and the officers show up, the off, you know, the individual comes uh, out and he's shooting. And I mean, in that situation, there was only one, uh, one course of action. They had to take him out. The other case in Columbus, Ohio, where the young lady had the knife and she was gonna stab the other individual. And the officer's decision there is who's gonna die? Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, just uh, take take any of us, uh, put ourselves in that position, and and ask what we would do uh, with those dynamics. And no, and you and, and, and every one of those, you saw how fluid they are, and how quick they can change. Uh, that required a, a split second decision, and uh, and that is the, again goes back to what we were talking about. That is where qualified immunity is so very important. It's the information an officer has at the time, uh, and as long as they're within the color of law and, and, and within policy and procedure. Uh, are they are their actions reasonable based off of the uh, circumstances as they see them, and that's why I think it's necessary, and why 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 it is necessary for our law enforcement, the stability of law enforcement, to be able to have some protection for doing a very difficult job that we're asked to do. Yeah, and I think, and you'll recall this, Pat, when we were dealing with some of the objectors about qualified immunity, Ben and Jerry, and I think some of the folks from the Federalist Society. And they had identified 17 cases that they were talking where the law was ran amok. When we looked at those cases and underneath them, there were really about six cases. The judges in those cases went through this real technical legal analysis. And what the Supreme Court says, you really don't have to go through those analysis as we looked at those two prison cases uh, we talked about where there is an intent to do harm. Uh, when you look at the Memphis case, I would put that in that same category. There is a intent on the officers to do severe bodily harm and injure the public. And those individuals are not going to and should not be afforded qualified immunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a criminal assault uh, under the pretext of a uh... 
of law, uh, you know, color yeah. law. So it's absolutely uh, op operating outside uh, the norms, shocks the conscious without a doubt. They would never get qualified immunity. Uh, so, so those who who point to cases like that and insist that somehow uh, the qualified immunity uh, uh, exception uh, is is you know protecting these bad cops, that's, that's simply not the case. Larry, thank you, thank you for joining us and shedding some light on yeah. on what is a, a you know huge talking point now. Uh, with many who feel like qualified immunity, uh, uh, it, it needs to go away. But in reality, uh, I think very, very few actually understand what it is and why it yeah. is necessary. And, and they certainly don't uh, suggest that we take it away from any other public officials, even though it, uh, even though law enforcement officers are asked to do some pretty extraordinary things at times. So. Yeah, and, and I think as a profession, you know, when you look at doctors, when you look at lawyers, and you look at those where mistakes are made, and obviously... Uh, in the operating room and those sort of instances, unless the doctor was going to do something intentionally, they have malpractice insurance. Qualified immunity is equivalent to malpractice insurance. Yeah, well said, well said. So to our viewers and listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Blue Few podcast where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up in communities all across this country every single day. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.